how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley. I have a very, very special guest with me today. I have Matt Weinberg. Matt is the co-founder and president of Happy Cog. He's founded the company when he was in high school with a high school friend, has bootstrapped his way many, many years later to massive profitability and serving clients at a very high level, one of the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing private companies. So Matt, welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, so, you know, what I love to do just so um, everyone has an understanding of kind of where you're at in your journey and, and what you've done. I know I gave a, a quick intro on it, but let's do a quick revenue rundown and then we could get into your story a little bit. So as we start off, you know, where are you at in terms of ARR? Yeah, we'll, we're predicting about $14 million in revenue this year. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. And what's your primary go-to-market strategy? You know, it's, it's mostly driven by referrals. Honestly, for uh, as many years as I can remember, we have happy clients and those happy clients uh, refer us to their friends and their colleagues, and that brings in more business. And we definitely do some uh, like conference speaking and uh, meetup hosting and like those kinds of things to try to just get our name out there and share our knowledge. But 99% of our incoming business, or 99% of our business is incoming just based on referrals. That's amazing. That's probably the highest the highest level of referrals that we've had. And it's actually something that I help companies systemize. So um, we didn't prep this at all. This, this wasn't uh, something that <laughs> was pre-planned. Um, so I'm excited to dig into that with you. So how big is your team? We're about 75, 80 people. Okay. And then what's your solution solutions exactly? Because I know you do multiple things. Yeah, so we are very high level. We are a full service interactive agency. That means we help companies solve kind of all of their digital needs. Being more specific, uh, we have three kind of core services. One core service is development. So we do web development, native app, you know, mobile app development, um, software integration of different business systems, those kinds of things. Uh, so that's that's our development uh, department. Then we have a design department that does UX, UI, design, um, content strategy, you know, everything there. And then we have a marketing team and they do uh, SEO, paid social, paid media, uh, conversion rate optimization, analytics consulting, all of that. So all three of our departments are fantastic. And sometimes clients hire us for one of those things or two of those things or all three of those things. And do you have a, it is one of those solution offerings more dominant in terms of your revenue share, like in terms of the revenue pie that you have, or is it pretty evenly distributed? Yeah, our, our development department is about 65% of our revenue. So okay. that's definitely the biggest one, though not overwhelmingly so. And uh, the majority of the members of our team are developers. So okay. as you would expect. And, and as a quick follow-up question, like if we're looking at that, why did you put content under design versus marketing? I was just curious on that. That's a very good question. So I think, I think there are two sides to that. Um, you know, our marketing, I think it's a joint effort between our marketing team and our design team. But I think our design team spends a lot of time thinking about what we call content strategy, like mm -hmm. overall brand 
vision and how content maps and relates to that and you know how content and tone should be thought about kind of throughout the website um in more of i would say again like a branding and messaging type of way our marketing team definitely gets involved there but um and, uh, and they certainly think about it from an SEO perspective and they, and they collaborate closely with our design team, but we think of it in terms of, of branding and messaging. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I've just never heard it cut up that way, so you, you intrigued me. And then are you bootstrapped or funded? We are bootstrapped. We have never raised external capital. Wow, okay. So that's very rare as well. So I know you started in high school, which is you know, crazy and then exciting at the same time. So can you just walk us through your story on how you got to this point today where you have a business, uh, 14 million, that's 99% referral based that, you know, you, you grew with a high school friend. I'd love to just hear the story on how you got to this point. Yeah. So, uh, my, my friend and I, he's still my business partner today. My co-founder and I, his name is Lee. We've been friends since elementary school and, um, we grew up on the South shore of long Island. We were in high school. We were both kind of nerdy. We were both very interested in computers um, the internet was around. So this was, you know, 20 years ago or so. So the internet was around, but it wasn't obviously anything like what it is today. But we were both nerdy, both very into computers. And we started a, effectively a computer repair business, um, for people installing computers, getting them computers, helping them set it up. Back then it was, you know, it was a lot of work. People didn't understand. It was new to a lot of people. Um, that, that kind of shifted into being more of business services. So we'd go into offices, people would hire us to go into their offices, set up their like multiple computers, their at the time Cisco routers, and um, you know, they're on kind of, there wasn't really cloud back then. So it was a lot of on-site storage type of things. And we were doing that and we, again, we were high school kids and we were making some money on the side. And um, our clients started, they were small businesses, they started hearing more and more about the internet. And I know, again, that sounds silly, but small businesses, it was not super easy for them to get online. It wasn't even clear if they should at the time, but they started hearing about it. They started becoming interested. So they would think, who should we ask about this? We were their IT guys. We were like young, mm-hmm. two young IT guys that did computers and they'd ask us. So Lee and I got kind of interested in it. And I think we quickly realized that this is, that was the future. We quickly realized the internet was growing like crazy. Uh, we could service small businesses really well um, with kind of websites and that. So I taught myself to code. I taught myself HTML. And I believe at the time, very early JavaScript, although I might begin my years wrong. I eventually did teach myself JavaScript, but I don't recall if it was just at the beginning. And Lee taught himself some of the marketing angle. And we started offering websites to clients, you know, a couple pages, homepage about, you know, whatever else. And that kind of quickly dominated um, all of the other revenue from the from the kind of IT consulting piece. So we, we ditched the IT consulting piece. And by the last year of high school, we were just doing websites for small businesses around Long Island. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So yeah. then uh, you did that in high school, which is pretty cool. I like yourself described as a, a nerdy guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife makes fun of myself and my friend because we started, uh, we re- regurgitated, not regurgitated, resuscitated is a better word. Regurgitated sounds like we threw up. <laughs> but um, resuscitated our uh, love of uh, collectibles, like sports collectibles and stuff oh, cool. like that. So she calls us uh, card nerds or, or whatnot. So anyways, I digress. But um, <laughs> So you're in high school. You start the web design business um, or website business, website creation. And then what happens there? How did that continue into college? Yeah, so we were just making small, easy sites. I was hand coding them. Lee was handling the marketing side. Again, this is very 
kind of simple uh, marketing. It wasn't like it is today and simple coding as well. There was no content management system we were using. It was all hand coded. And uh, we both went to college. Lee went to Syracuse. I went to NYU. I studied music. Um, and just nights and weekends, we would continue working and continue just doing projects for small businesses, but we were doing a good job. And the businesses that were reaching out to us were getting kind of bigger and bigger. Not nothing big, big, but just more than just the one, you know, one person kind of businesses. So did that in high school. Um, my, I'm sorry, we did that in college, nights and weekends. My college roommates that we hired him part-time to start helping us with some of this work. Um, he still works here at Happy Cog today. Um, and uh, we both graduated college. We both, the company was fine, but it wasn't really making enough money to support us. We both took full-time jobs. And we just, for years, a couple of years, we worked nights, we do our full-time jobs. We worked nights and weekends on the company. And basically I would wake up in the morning. I would go to work, like my day job at 9 a.m. I'd get home at 5 p.m. I'd have a quick dinner. And then from 6 p.m. until 3 a.m., I would do work on the company and Lee would do the opposite. Lee would wake up at 4 a.m., work from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m., then go to work. So we used to joke that we had 24 seven coverage because of that. <laughs> and then, wow. um, so wait, how many hours, how many hours a day did you sleep when you're doing that? Five, uh, you know, uh, maybe six. Do you, do you have that weird genetic gene? Cause like there's, it's actually proven that I think it's like 10% or 5% of the population has that genetic gene where like most people would be a pile of mush if they had five hours of sleep at a night. Um, you have that weird genetic gene, do you think, or no? I guess so. I mean, I, I get these days, I get very little sleep now just cause I, yeah, I find it even hard to sleep late or sleep a long time. So yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then we eventually we were doing well enough that I was spending a lot of my de- time, at my day job doing calls for my own company and Lee was doing the same. And we were actually thinking about hiring people and we said, well, this is silly. We shouldn't have day jobs and hire more people. We should just quit our day jobs, do the work ourselves without having to pay somebody else. So we quit our day jobs. That was 12 years ago or something, 10 years, you know, something like that. And we've just grown from there. Now we're 75 people. So, so let me ask you that because like, here's my question. You know, obviously that was right. I mean, just doing the math, we're in 22, 20 years ago. That was right after the dot-com boom, right? So there was a tension on the whole internet focused area with computers and email. And I, I know there's a lot of developments along that time frame. but like, who's the number one person that, that you looked up to in terms of creating your business? That's a good question. Um, I don't know that Lee and I were super informed about or involved in that like dot-com world that, you know, of venture capitalists and funding that wasn't us. You know, we were dealing with small businesses um, and just trying to help people kind of get online in the simplest way. My, my dad was an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. He had started companies. He had always worked for himself and, and all of that. So from just pure business point of view, certainly, you know, that was a role model for me, but he was involved in the technology piece. We just okay. we were just doing small business stuff, not the big like pets.com funding type stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. So you had some inspiration from your dad, and then it sounds yeah. like you just kind of gradually grinded away and then stacked on that. What so what would you say is like the inflection point for you where like you went from that stage of just chipping away to where you really started to see the growth? Was it let, let's say, let me ask you this. So once you hit a million in revenue, what did you do to make that next big jump? 
Yeah. So I think that we've had a couple of, so let me, let me back up. We have always said that happy clients lead to more clients. That is the number one thing that we always tell people internally that I always think about. If we make our clients happy, I strongly believe they will tell their friends about us. They will tell their colleagues about us and we will get more business. So what we noticed is that over time, we've had to do a lot of process changes. When we hit a million in revenue, a lot of the processes we had around project management, around how we are servicing clients, communicating with them, was starting to fail because we were getting bigger and we were doing bigger projects. And so our clients weren't as happy because we, were, we weren't doing as well for them. So there have been a couple of inflection points like that. I think at probably six people, probably 15 people, at 50 people, and probably, probably going through this now where... We needed to say, all right, we're working on bigger or a step change in the kinds of work we're doing. We, should, we need to reevaluate how we're doing those things. And by reevaluating, again, hopefully we continue doing a good job and um, get back, you know, get, continue getting referrals and all of that. So that's been big, just kind of identifying what is failing or what's about to fail. Hopefully you identify it before it fails. Um, certainly project management has been a big one. I feel very good about our project management now, but it's very different than what it looked like when we were six people. Oh yeah. I can imagine that. Well, that, that brings us to, to, that brings me to my next question is like, how do you create a $14 million business with based on 99% inbound referrals? Um, <laughs> happy clients. So I think, I think one big thing is that we try to remember that we are in the client services business. The whole point of people hiring us is so that we can help them accomplish some goal they have. Nobody hires us or nobody hires any agency because um, they just want to have fun. They have a business goal that they want to accomplish. And ultimately they're going to pay us for our work and we have to deliver work to them. That's going to let them create more value than they paid to us. Whether that Mm -hmm. means that they're making, we're helping them make more revenue. We're helping them get more leads. We're helping them get more visibility, whatever their business goals are we have to create more value for them than they pay us. Otherwise there's, you know, there's no point in hiring us. So we try to really believe that um, and act on it and try to step back sometimes from our projects and say, what is the client actually trying to accomplish? What are we actually doing to help them accomplish that? If we think that they're asking us to do something that would be counterproductive to that, we talk to them about it instead of just kind of, you know, blindly doing it because we want to help them succeed. So we've had a long-term view The other big thing we've done, and this has been absolutely key, um, and it's something I'm shocked more agencies don't do, is we have a great recurring revenue model. So Mm -hmm. clients will often hire us for projects. And then a lot of times clients will kind of want to continue working with us and they'll go on what we call a retainer, which is just a, like a recurring, we guarantee them X amount of hours per month. They pay us X amount of hours per month and we give them, you know, 30 day uh, out clause on it. And it's helpful. A lot of our clients want to continue doing work. They want to continue doing bug fixes, improvements. Their business is changing. They have goals. That's allowed us to build a big business because we have a lot of revenue that we can be pretty confident is going to recur each month as well. So it's, it's freed us to hire and to plan a lot better than other agencies. Okay. So you stack the recurring revenue and you really like that, like customer outcomes. Like, so what's the target that you look for in terms of a customer outcome? So let's say they pay you $100 what amount of value do you do you try and deliver um, in terms of execution for them? So then they're like, wow, this is amazing. I think we try to work with them at the beginning 
so that they tell us what would create value for them and what would be a success for them. That's again, we're in the client services business. Our whole point is to support their needs. So, you know, what's valuable for them? What would make it a success? Is it a step change in revenue? Is it some kind of conversion rate? They're at 1% now. And if they get to one and a half percent, they blow away all their goals. And, you know, um, is it just a couple more lead generations, a couple more sponsorships, a couple more ad sales? Uh, it's really up to them. But whatever it is that their business goal is that will make a difference, that's what we want to support. Okay. So I like that. So so basically you directly align with the exact expectation of every client then. We and ask that- them at the beginning, we say, what at the end of this process, what do you need to see to have said to to go back and say this was a success? What is it? Is it a metric? Is it a feeling? Is it an approval from somebody internally? That's what we're going to work towards. Uh, I love that. So then, okay. So then your number one goal is to create that outcome for them. So that, and then do you, so you identify, do you identify that in the sales process? Do you identify that like in the kickoff call or do you, do you continually update that? Or like, how do you continue that focus? Cause like, I don't know how long your projects are, but there's times where people, uh, sometimes forget like how far they've gone <laughs> from the starting point. It's a challenge. We try to identify it in the sales process. I think that that happens. Then I think as the project goes along, cause some projects will be six, eight months, some are shorter, you know, a couple months, but um, to your point, it, people can forget, or we might have a big team on the project. Maybe we didn't do a good enough job internally sharing, you know, mm-hmm. those goals and aligning everybody. So I think it's important for us to constantly make sure we're on the right track make sure that the goals haven't changed. If they have, figure out what that means for our work and try to remind people internally of what the actual goal is. Okay. So is there something you do to do that in terms of like, like, so for example, you have a customer project plan. Do you have like a, like, a, like an overarching outcome that they have at the top of every project plan or anything like that so that the team's kind of continually focused on that as well? Yeah, I think, I think our design team especially does it really well. I see them in meetings with clients as they're presenting something or showing a revision or showing concepts. And I, I see them often explicitly try to tie it back to goals. And, you know, I'll hear them say something like, you've told us your goal is X, Y, Z. Does, you know, does what we showed you today align with, with that specific goal? And if not, is that because we messed up? Not messed up. Is that because we just need to think about things a little bit differently? Or have the goals changed? And that's okay too, but let's all be explicit about it if the goals have changed. Mm. Okay, I love that. So you told us your goals X, Y, Z, and then it's kind of like a temperature check. Are we on, on path for that? Is there something we need to adjust? Is there something that's changed? So I yeah. like that. So it's really, you're looking at like real-time feedback of like, you know, are we executing? Have you changed? And then, you know, is there something we need to do differently? So yeah. did I miss anything there? The only other thing I'd say is I think there are different kinds of goals. You know, if we can get objective, measurable goals, I think that's great. Sometimes there are multiple goals. Sometimes they're subjective and less measurable, but some of them will be objective. Again, conversion rate, lead generation contacts, e-commerce sales, ad, ad units, like whatever that is, something that we can do a baseline, like what were those numbers before we did our work and what are the numbers after and make sure that's all going in the right direction. And especially, you know, post-launch, you know, now that we're measuring with the new system that we built, can we do further improvements to kind of tweak it better? Okay. So do you, 
do you turn away clients then? Like, cause sometimes you'll have a conversation and you know, this has happened to me before where you're like, okay, this is what the opportunity is. This is the outcome that I see. And then they go have their internal conversation. They come back and they're like, and then you're like, okay, well, what's the outcome, exact outcome. And they tell you something you're like, you know, like I want to increase, and I'll just give you a fake example. But like I want to increase $10 million in revenue in one month and we don't have any demand gen or anything set up. Like, like, do you, I mean, obviously that's an extreme case, but do you have situations like that where they'll come back and they're just so far off base and you're just like, Hey, this is really not aligned with what we're going to execute on. Or how do you handle those situations? I think in those cases, we wouldn't explicitly reject the client. Um, but I think we try to be realistic and, and see if we can get aligned on something that's with, you know, that's possible. We okay. do, we do definitely turn down some business. I would say that's more related to, you know, budget sizes and things like that. We don't, we don't do like the kind of tiny little projects that we did when we were in, in high school. Um, so we turned down business that because of that. Um, and sometimes prospective clients come to us and they, like they have timelines that just aren't, something we can meet just based on our resource and, you know, they need to get something launched in two weeks or whatever, and we just can't do it. Um, but I would say by and large, most of our clients are very reasonable in terms of goals. A lot of our clients are like SaaS companies that have mm -hmm. internal engineering teams that work on their SaaS application, but they don't have the resources to work on their front facing marketing site. So like mm -hmm. their CMS, um, you know, the content management system for that, their lead generation system, all their tracking with, Marketo or Elocar or HubSpot or whatever they're using, their account-based marketing tool, like all those things, they don't have anyone internally on the engineering side that owns that. So a lot of our projects are those kinds of projects. And I find that those companies are usually pretty reasonable about, they've, they've typically a lot of very good forecasting around like what reasonable conversion rates are, what they can expect to close and all of that. Okay. So that's, that's pretty cool then. So so let's shift gears. And so is there anything else you do during the customer experience besides just aligning with their goals? Like, do you align with their goals also emotionally? Is there anything that you tap into there? Or is it strictly like the logic metric based goals? Um, I think we try to do a mix. I think that when you're talking about creative work, it's hard to separate emotion. I think that's important. You know, our, our clients know their businesses better than we know their businesses. So if they have some kind of emotional visceral reaction to something that's actually valuable information for us even if they can't explain it in a logical way mm -hmm. there's probably some um key element there that we need to understand why a little more of just based on our clients experience with their own industry or business the other thing that i think is really important is we try to be extremely transparent with clients mm -hmm. a lot of i think agencies are not transparent um but we we give them access to the same kind of work tracking system that we use internally. Like they, if something fails quality assurance, our client sees it. We tell them exactly if we're burning hot or burning over on hours, burning under on hours. If there's uh, going to be a timeline change, if we messed up, whatever it is, we, we, we are all about very transparent communications. And I think that that means that sometimes we are telling clients stuff they don't want to hear. Um, but I think the vast majority of the time clients appreciate the transparency and they want to hear those things and they, Appreciate being part of the process and seeing the sausage being made. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and, and speaking of timelines, how long is your sales process then on average? It can range anywhere from a couple of weeks to like months and months. The big companies that we work with, 
they have big legal departments and security operations departments and all of that, you know, that can be a, a quite a lengthy process, but a couple of weeks, maybe a month okay. or two. Okay. And then like, what's the range in terms of project sizes that you guys have then? Um, it's, it does range, you know, our projects are anywhere from $150,000 to $1.5 million. I know that's a big range, but that's <laughs> called like the middle of that. Um, very common for us. A couple hundred thousand dollars would be a pretty common type of project size for us. Um, and then retainer wise, you know, client, we have clients on 30 hour month retainers and we have clients on 500 hour month retainers and everything in between. You said $30 a month retainers? 30 hour, 30 hour. Oh, 30 hours. Yes, everything what? from 30 hours a month to 500 hours a month. And you know, everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is line. Okay, so that's obviously a really big deal size for that sales cycle length, even if you're a couple weeks, but even if you're three months or four months on the big side, that's still really strong. So is there anything you do throughout the process as well with like gift giving or anything like that to to enhance the customer experience as they're going through it? We don't give gifts or anything like that. We, we do make sure that we expose prospective clients to some people on our team that they would actually be working with. So they're not just doing with salespeople. Um, we don't, we, we only have one salesperson, my, you know, um, business partner, Stu, and he's, um, he wasn't a co-founder, but he's a partner who we brought on later on. And, um, he's like our only sales guy. And most of his day, as I said, is just kind of handling the inbound stuff that we get. Um, but we involve tech leads. We, just, we involve design leads, marketing leads, all in, all in the sales process because we want people that are going to do the work to kind of understand what the project is. And we want the prospective client to understand who they would actually be working with and hearing from. It's a big, important thing. We don't hide our staff from prospects. That's good. So then how, how does the, the referrals come to fruition? Is Stu, your salesperson, asking for them? Are they just coming inbound and then he just kind of reacts to them? How does that whole, you know, the, the balance of it? Because I mean, obviously I understand your, your customer experience process now. It sounds like you're highly orientated towards outcomes, which is huge. Um, but yeah, so what, how, how does that take place then? The vast majority are unsolicited that we do a big, we do a big launch for a client and um, that client announces it on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. And, and they tell their friends and their social network, you know, their professional social networks about it. And a lot of times those people will say, Oh, site looks great. Who did it? And they'll say, Oh, happy cog did it. So, um, that's a big part of it. And sometimes people, uh, take new jobs. Sometimes clients of ours, uh, they take new jobs and they come into a new company and they, they don't like the existing agency. So they'll kind of reach back out to us because they had a good experience with us. That's very common as well. Um, we do, we do try to speak at conferences. You know, I speak at a lot of conferences. We, before COVID, we were hosting a lot of meetups in our office, um, try to just share knowledge. We feel very strongly that sharing knowledge with the world comes back to us from in a karma type of way. Uh, but yeah, that, that's really, that's really the big stuff. I, I, I would also say there, from a development point of view, there are some technical platforms that we know really well. And so sometimes we get kind of known within those communities of knowing those platforms very well. Okay. And is there, okay. So is there um, anything you do in specific communities then at all to fuel that? Yeah. I mean, one, again, it would be sharing knowledge, you know, writing blog posts and newsletters and things like for with tips for those technical platforms. Uh, we try to, become partners with 
the technical platforms, just, you know, maybe co-pitch some prospects that they have or that we have to show the clients that yes, they, they all have an expert implementer in our, in our way. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, those are really the big things. Okay. So I guess like, what's the, um, you know, obviously it's your name, Happy Cog, right? What's, what's the future of your company? Like, like where do you want things to go? And, and like, what's your vision over the next three to five years for Happy Cog? That's a great question. So first of all, we are cash flow positive. We have always been cash flow positive. It's extremely important to us to continue to be cash flow positive um, because we feel, again, without outside investment, because we feel very strongly that being cash flow positive gives us options and stability that lets us accomplish the rest of our goals. So, you know, we want to do great work for clients. We want to have great employees that uh, feel good about working at Happy Cog. um, And we want to help our clients get value. So those things, right, if we if we do a great job for our clients, we do a great job for our employees. Um, and we're cash flow positive, then we feel like we can have a sustainable business. Um, so those are our goals. We want to continue growing, but we not in a way that's unsustainable to us. We want to continue growing in a way that profits and revenue support. And we want to continue doing more interesting and complex work for clients. Nice. So what's your biggest challenge right now then? Your single biggest challenge in terms of growing the company? Um, hiring. We are hiring like crazy and it's impossible. You know, it's very difficult to find people. It's a very competitive market. Um, that's one. Uh, another one is that I guess related to that is, you know, we, we definitely have a lot of projects going on right now. And um, again, trying to hire to kind of keep those staff. Those are big. But I would say another uh, two other big ones. One is that we became fully remote about a year ago. So we had always been about 50 percent remote always had people spread around the United States, but we always had an office in New York. About a year ago, we uh, got rid of our office in New York. And that's been fine. I think everyone or the vast majority of the company is happy with remote work, but we haven't seen each other in two years. So we used to bring people into New York twice a year to have a summer barbecue, holiday party. So it's challenging, you know, making sure we're keeping our culture with remote work and we're we're talking about a retreat or other things. Um, That's a challenge for sure. And then... Um, another challenge that I think is kind of just endemic is as we've grown, we kind of talked about this before, which of our processes are not going to scale with us? You mm-hmm. know, what are, what were we doing at 20 people? That was a smart idea at 20 people that we're still doing because of inertia now, but is not a good idea at 75 people. You know, that could include the way we do invoicing. That can include the way we manage projects or, or assign our team to projects. It can include the way we structure our team or, or handle titles, even like anything like that. Um, you know, I always want to be looking out for the next step to make sure we're, we're properly uh, adjusting our processes and growing. It's good. Not good that you have those problems, but <laughs> no, they're, they're problems of success. They're problems. Yeah. I, I'd much rather have those problems rather than the problems of shrinking and not having enough business. So these are good problems. But yeah. Exactly. So, so um, you mentioned about, so we're, we're going to, we're just about up on time. So I want to do a quick like founder fire. Um, and so as we walk through this, you know, what would, it, who is the number one founder or business leader that you look up to or think is doing absolutely amazing things right now outside of Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, because it's the most common, most common two that we've heard. So we're, we're trying to expand a little bit here, Matt. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I am, 
I am a big fan of CEOs and business leaders that are humble, that care about you know, profitability and sustainability in their business, that treat their employees well, um, that don't try to be all over the news constantly. I think that's, I'm a bigger fan of, of that kind of style of leadership rather than maybe the, mm-hmm. the styles of the people you mentioned, okay. or at least, you know, in general. How about, okay, so how about um, a book? Like, what's your favorite book you've read over the past couple of years? I love, there's a great book on negotiation. It's an old book. It's called Getting to Yes. And it's mm-hmm. all about um, the skill of negotiation, but it's not about tricking the other person. It's not about getting one over on them. It's all about actually aligning on incentives and, and negotiating to find deals that create value for both parties, deals that everybody walks away from happy. So I, I like that approach and I really like that book and the way it, it, it phrased and considered those things. Okay. Excellent. Where, where, where do you see, you know, you, you talked about the future of tech in 2002, and that was basically almost like, I don't want to say an inception point of your business, but that's, that's really what got things going. Where do you see the future of tech over the next five years? I think that there are a lot of technologies that we hear a lot about now that are hyped well beyond any um, real value that they're going to bring to businesses. I'm not, I'm not talking about like crypto or anything. I'm talking about like some of these, you know, you, you see all the time, um, just other, you know, take the technology of the week or whatever it might be. I feel very strongly that kind of the, the overarching line of technological progress in our industry has been making things easier for non-technical people to accomplish magic with software. That's one Mm -hmm. thing. So software is so powerful. Technology is so powerful. I think in a lot of ways, it's very hard for non-technical people to use and unlock the power of software. So I think any kind of tools that makes it easier for them, like no code style tools, um, robotic process automation, all that kind of stuff, I think is very powerful. And I think we see more and more of that. And we're going to continue to see more and more of that. Okay. That's a good, that's a great answer. And then um, last question, where, you know, like knowing what you know now, uh, going back in a a time machine when you first started your business, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I would say that the focus on cash flow positivity is a good one. Um, I would have, I would tell myself to maybe get a little bit more sleep. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) I think that's important. I really do think that's important. Um, And I would tell myself that I should, that I'm going to have, so one thing I've noticed is I have weeks that are great and I feel like I'm on top of the world and they're most amazing weeks. And I have weeks that it's, you know, are terrible and I feel (laughs) like everything is falling apart. And I would tell myself that that's just part of being an entrepreneur that you have. I very rarely have a regular week. I have like amazing weeks and I have terrible weeks. And hopefully over time, it not only evens out, but trends up. But I would tell myself that that's okay. And that's kind of just what to expect as part of this journey. That's great advice. I love that. So where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and HappyCog? Sure. So we are happycog.com, H-A-P-P-Y-C-O-G.com. We're HappyCog on all the major social platforms as well. I'm personally MRW on the social platform. So twitter.com slash MRW. I was an early adopter, I guess. Um, And yeah, my email address is, in case anyone wants to reach out, is matt at happycog.com, M-A-T-T at happycog.com. Awesome. Well, absolutely love this. Uh, once again, like I, I say this all the time, but whenever I have episodes, a lot of times they go in directions that I never even thought of. So to hear that you got 99% in, 
inbound referral business with one salesperson at 14 million in revenue that you bootstrap from when you're in high school is absolutely amazing. So it was a pleasure having you on and I really appreciated hearing your story and your journey and, and just your, your view on, on how to work with people. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.